Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in our healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have with us today Nadia Sawaya Gokler from Intercultural Communications LLC. She is an expert in building and leading award-winning and best-in-class initiatives in the areas of diversity, cultural competency, customer relationship management, organizational change, and leadership development. Nadia has developed and implemented CLASS, Culturally and Linguistically Appropriate Services, strategic interventions across organizations such as Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins Medicine, New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, DaVita Healthcare Partners, um, and others to build diverse and inclusive environments focused on increasing employee and faculty recruitment, engagement and retention, catering to the needs of diverse patients and clients, promoting quality, safety, and culturally competent patient-centered care, and meeting legislative, regulatory, and accreditation mandates. In 2004, Ms. Sawaya launched the Johns Hopkins Hospital first formal cultural competency program. She established the International Call Center, a 24-hour interpretation service to support clinical staff and physicians across the entire health system who serve underserved and non-English proficient patients. She planned, developed, and implemented curriculum for cultural competence courses, e-learning modules, workshops, conferences, and seminars to providers, medical students, and staff to promote diversity and culturally competent care and trained over 40,000 health, health providers. Johns Hopkins University Diversity Leadership President William Brody awarded Ms. Sawaya Gaukler the Diversity Recognition Award in 2005 for her contributions. Ms. Sawaya Gaukler served as Commissioner for Governor O'Malley's Commission on Middle East American Affairs. Ms. Sawaya Gokler works with organizations and the community to build and promote intercultural programs to foster cultural awareness and understanding in the community. Ms. Sawaya Gokler holds degrees in economics and healthcare administration, University of South Dakota, and certifications in intercultural foundations, intercultural development inventory, intercultural communication institute. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your Paycom CEU certificate will be emailed to you from Paycom following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout should be available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. Now, without further ado, Nadia, go ahead. Oh, thank you, Catherine, and welcome all of you today and joining me as we discuss the National Standards of Culturally and Linguistically Appropriate Services in Health and Healthcare, 
which are referred to as CLAV. Our um, overview today um, will cover the key drivers for the standards, why it is crucial for health professional organizations to implement these standards, and also the impact and influence of culture and healthcare delivery. We'll also discuss areas of compliance and strategies to implement class standards in your organization. There are many ethical and practical drivers for why providing culturally and linguistically appropriate services is necessary. And today we'll highlight some key drivers, including the following. Our nation's increasing cultural and linguistic diversity, the, prevail the prevalence of health disparities, and also the increasing accreditation standards and many of the state's legislation, and of course, the overarching regulations, regulatory mandates. According to the US Census data, um, approximately 20% of the US population speak a language other than English at home, and almost 9% have limited proficiency in English. There are at least 350 languages spoken in the US, and we are moving toward a minority majority, which means that minorities make up 37% of the US population and that percentage is increasing. It is projected that in 2044, the US will become a minority majority nation. Actually, at the moment, five states are already a minority majority, California, Hawaii, Nevada, New Mexico, and Texas. Given the increasing cultural diversity, there's also an increased need for healthcare professionals and organizations to provide effective high quality care that is responsive to the diverse cultural and linguistic needs of the individuals that are served. The two landmark and influential reports by the Institute of Medicine on quality and disparities, uh, crossing the quality chasm and unequal treatment, they have detailed the evidence of pervasive disparities for minorities in healthcare, even after controlling for differences in insurance and socioeconomic status. Minorities, for example, receive fewer diagnostic tests, preventive services, and encounter poor communication and difficulty accessing healthcare information than non-minorities. These landmark reports highlight the importance of patient-centered care and culture competence in improving quality and eliminating health disparities. A study recently that was commissioned by the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies was carried out by leading researchers from Johns Hopkins University and the University of Maryland, indicated that the cost of health inequities in our country and our nation is over $1 trillion. These health inequities not only have a high financial burden on our healthcare system, but also on our society at large. National accreditation standards and accrediting bodies such as the Joint Commission and the National Committee for Quality Assurance have also established accreditation standards that target the improvement of communication, cultural competency, patient-centered care, and the provision of language assistance service. Specifically, the report by the Joint Commission reports advancing effective communication, culture competence, and patient and family-centered care highlights the importance that class are effective in improving the quality of services and increasing patient, patient safety. 
Communication was found as a cornerstone of patient safety. The report also provided recommendations to help hospitals address unique patient needs and guidance on how to comply with existing joint submission requirements. Regulatory mandates and legislation are a huge drivers um, for the class standards. Culturally and linguistically appropriate services are increasingly included in or referenced by local and national legislative and regulatory mandates. Many of you have probably heard about them and you know and have great knowledge of them are basically the main one is Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Executive Order 13166. And recently, Section 1557 of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which prohibits organizations who are receiving funds from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services from engaging in policies or any practices that have the effect of discriminating against individuals based on race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability, and language that fall under national origin. And disability in the process of this webinar, meaning um, patients with deaf or hard of hearing, um, blind or visually impaired. Under these regulations, each facility must take reasonable steps to provide meaningful and timely access to individuals to be served or likely to be encountered in its health programs and activities. And we will discuss in more detail the regulatory requirements a little bit in the presentation. But it is important when we talk about cultural and linguistically appropriate services is to really take a moment and discuss the influence of culture on the healthcare delivery. Culture plays an extremely important role in healthcare. It determines how one person defines health, wellness, and illness. It is an integrated pattern. Um, or what we call them dimensions of thoughts, communications, or act, actions, or customs, or beliefs, and behavior within a group. And these cultural dimensions influence our health beliefs and practices, as well as our health-seeking behaviors and attitudes. People learn their health and illness and illness prevention beliefs and practices from the culture that um, they belong. So that culture determines whether or not, for example, someone will seek or not seek preventative measures such as you know, periodic checkups, vaccinations, mammograms. It also, culture influences also the decision that we take whether to accept or reject medical advice and or treatment, how we understand disease etiology, what is considered to be a health problem, to even is it as a, uh, a spiritual thing or not. Um, do we seek spiritual healers? Do we seek alternative medicine? Culture also determines how patients expect to be treated. Um, what is the professional role? Um, and how do we perceive professionals in healthcare? Uh, whether it's nursing providing care, are they physicians, are the gender roles that they do play? How is our culture really views these gender roles and professional, um, professional roles? Especially treatment adherence that's really impacting whether we're going to follow with a treatment or are we going to adhere with it? Who should, what type of treatment should be given depending on what our health beliefs and cultural beliefs is. So all these dynamics that do come together, um, whether from a provider perspective, the patient dynamics as well as the system dynamics, 
um, cultural dynamics really impact the safety, quality, the efficiency, and also the trust, which are very tied into whether you get successful health, health outcomes or not. So by looking at these dynamics and how they interact within a, an organization, um, it's very powerful as if you build trust with patients and if you understand and you have, um, you have respect to their beliefs, patients to tend to adhere more to treatments and to um, even disclosing alternative, alternative treatments where you can be more partnering with the patients that will increase satisfaction um, and it will build trust and you can even increase um, your patient pool because there is more loyalty and understanding and there is a trust that is built um, between the organization and the patient that you're caring for. I'm just going to give two examples of <clears throat> two cases that actually drew national attention of and really shows the impact of communication and culture and um, how they really influence the um, health outcomes. The two cases that drew national attention are the cases of Willie Ramirez and Leah Lee. We'll start with the case and story of Willie Ramirez. In 1980, uh, Willie Ramirez, a Cuban-American high school baseball star, was rushed to the hospital for intense headaches and fleeting consciousness. But there was no professional interpreter present um, in his admission, and there was a misinterpretation of the word intoxicado. Cuban Spanish used to describe a person who's ingested bad food or drink. However, that was communicated as intoxicated, which refers exclusively to someone who's consumed alcohol or drugs. Due to that miscommunication, um, this resulted in Willie being treated incorrectly, and he ended up to be quadriplegic. A resulting lawsuit um, followed and brought a salmon of 71 million against the facility. The story of Leah Lee is another um, aspect of how the culture influenced health outcomes and the dynamics between providers and cultures um, in the treatment um, with patients. The story of uh, Leah Lee was depicted in Anne Fetterman's book, which I highly recommend uh, for you to read, was born in 1981 to a family of recent Hmong immigrants and soon developed symptoms of, of epilepsy. The spirit catches, the title of the book, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, is a little literal translation of the Hmong name of epilepsy. So Hmong believe that epilepsy has a spiritual origin and should be treated accordingly. They looked at the epileptic that can see things that others cannot, and through seizures, they can easily enter to a journey to a spirit world. They do seek rituals done by a spiritual healer or a shaman, they call them, and too, and too many medications will hinder that ritual. So the book really depicts the, um, the journey that the family and the providers were both really wanted the best for Leah but ended up because of misunderstanding of cultural beliefs and misunderstanding and miscommunication, ended up with over-medication and the culture class. And Leah's condition worsened. And by 1988, she was living at home, but she was brain dead. These stories and many more happened every day, um, although they were extreme. There are many, many, many stories that do happen in healthcare facilities. 
where communication and culture influence really impact the health outcomes. A great quote by Sir William Osler is, it is much more important to know what sort of a patient has a disease than what sort of a disease a patient has. This is really a leading principle of what cultural competent care um, should be. We need to look at the patient and their culture and their belief in the communication and try to understand it so we can really improve the quality of care that patients really requires. Cultural competence on a healthcare organization is basically a set of congruent behaviors, attitudes, and policies that enable this organization to work effectively in multicultural environments. To be a culturally competent organization, for example, is basically investing and committing to eliminate barriers of culture and language, providing an environment where patients do feel comfortable discussing their cultural health beliefs, and partnering with them for diagnostic and treatment choices. And then adapting some interventions and approaches to healthcare to the specific culture of the patient. So which leads us to the discussion for the standards. What are they and whether and how they really can um, help you when you implement them to really move you into, towards a culturally competent organization. So a little bit of background about the class standards. The national standards um, basically a set of 15 action steps that are serving as a blueprint for organizations to deliver effective and respectful services for the culture and linguistically um, uh, responsive services at every point of patient contact. They were initially developed by the Office of Minority Health and of the Department of Human and Health Services in 2000. And that's also for to offer guidance for healthcare organizations who really needed um, uh, a blueprint, uh, a roadmap of how to um, implement these standards and how to become culturally competent. And these standards within, in 2010 and 2012, um, the Office of Minority Health undertook the enhancement program. And basically there have been, during the last decade, there have been a huge, um, with our nation's increasing diversity and there's a tremendous growth in the field. And also with the uh, Affordable Care Act that came into effect in 2010 and the um, Health and Human Services Action Plan to reduce racial and health and ethnic health disparities and many state legislations um, that were uh, moving towards culturally competent education for providers moving forward, there was a need to um, look into these standards and that's why you see the name enhanced class standards, and there are basically 15 standards. They're, they're, they're the same context and the theme, however, they've just been adding one more standard, and we will go over the framework in a little bit. The purpose for the class standards are to provide respectful, understandable, effective, and equitable care, and to advance health equity, to eliminate health disparities, and as we mentioned before, to respond to the changing demographics, legal, and accreditation requirements. The class framework is structured into a principal standard and three categories or themes of stand, um, combined into, a, into standards. So um, governance, leadership, and workforce uh, comprise standards two to four. Communication and language assistance um, 
are in the standards five to eight. Engagement, continuous improvement, and accountability are with standards nine to 15. The principal standards, uh, standard frames the essential goals of all of the client standards. So if you implement all the other 14 standards, if they are adopted and implemented and maintained, then the principal standard will be achieved. This is a summary of the standards. Hopefully you have downloaded a copy of the, um, of the standards. Um, and this is basically offers you a summary. The standard two, advancing and sustaining governance and leadership that promotes class and health equity is a new standard that was put in into the, into the enhanced class standard. And this basically um, really to highlight the importance of implementation and the promotion of class as an organization and, and a systemic um, as a systemic goal. And it's not just a one person or one program, but it is an organizational and leadership commitment to really move forward the class standards within the organization. This governance, leadership, and workforce standards um, action plans require the organization leadership to invest, support, and recruit and build a diverse workforce that reflects the community served, and also look into training of all the individuals within the organization. The other part of the standards that are um, really more focused into communication and language assistance. They do cover action plans for the provision of language assistance and communication needs and services. For example, interpretive services, translation services, um, examples for sign language, uh, auxiliary aids, um, and all the requirements and the plans that you can put in place to provide um, language assistance services. Team three, which is the category of engagement, improvement, uh, continuous improvement and accountability. These offers action plans that highlight the engagement of the community. The organization needs to engage the community, needs to evaluate and monitor and communicate all the class measures and the progress. And it does highlight that everyone in the organization is accountable for upholding the values and the intent of the class standards. In this section, we're gonna cover more details um, more where the compliance and the regulatory requirements do come into play uh, with class. Communication and language assistance, standards five to eight. Um, although they do not represent legal requirements in all class in all cases, but implementation of these standards will help ensure that the healthcare organizations and individual providers serve persons of diverse backgrounds in a culturally and linguistically appropriate manner and in accordance with the law. So these standards, as they are really more focused on the provision of language assistance and communication, um, really fall more with the language of Title VI and the regulatory requirement that we have spoken in earlier. So we'll go a little bit over the regular mandates again. The failure by the entity and as I mentioned again, who is a recipient of a federal financial assistance to provide services consistent with standards five through eight. If your 
failing to provide that service, that could result in a violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, as well as Section 1557. The Title VI, um, again, just to mention that, really emphasize that organization must take reasonable steps to provide meaningful access. So the provision of language access, of language assistance and communication, is very important for when it comes to compliance uh, with the regulatory mandates. Some of the covered um, entities uh, really include hospitals, um, any organization that um, receives that receives uh, financial assistance uh, from the Health and Human Services. Uh, for example, hospitals, family health centers, public health clinics. This is not a, a comprehensive list, but these are some examples of some covered uh, entities. So the Title VI really offers the organization um, that, uh, more of a guidance it's called the four-factor analysis. There are more of a guidance of what type of services, what type of provision when it comes to language assistance and communication an organization should uh, make available? And what does it mean for meaningful access and reasonable steps? And the four-factor analysis is basically to, um, um, to really see where you fit in as an organization uh, to be able to offer reasonable steps. So first, you need to look into the number or proportion of uh, limited English proficient person eligible to be serviced or likely to be serviced for culturing by your organization. Um, this is information you need to get from your um, community and the service area that you service. The frequency with which LAP persons using a particular language come in contact with the organization. Um, are you just like a one-stop healthcare um, situation? Are you a hospital? Are you a health system? What type of an organization you are? And you need to look into the, the frequency. The nature and importance of the organization and program. So if you are in healthcare, basically you are a very important uh, um, organization for an individual life. And the resources that are available to the organization and costs associated with providing LAP service. So a smaller organization may be able just to provide, um, you know, telephonic interpretation and maybe just on the translation materials. However, if you are a more larger hospital, you may want to provide more of a um, contracting with agencies, um, um, have more languages provided depending on the number or proportion of patients who are really accessing your um, um, your services. So in particular, some areas of compliance um, that are more um, um, under the overarching of the Title VI is the provision of language and communication services and resources. So organization you need to have, uh, healthcare organization you need to have in place um, uh, language assistance plan, policies and procedures of how they provide these um, language assistance and communication to their patients. You need to look into the quality of language services. You need to ensure that interpreters must be competent in medical terminology and understand the issue of confidentiality and impartiality, as well as translation services um, and translators um, uh, credentials and competency uh, need to be in place. And of course, 
that the organizations are not using any minors for interpretations. Um, family and friends are not um, um, welcome to be able to interpret. Um, so it's very important to have in place quality standards for the language services you are providing. One of the areas as well is the, uh, the provision of translated materials, especially for vital documents. For each of the limited English proficient groups um, that you are serving, they're considered 5% or 1,000 persons of the population served. Um, whichever is less, you really need to be providing vital doc uh, translated documents in that language. Notification and signage. Um, organization needs to make sure and make sure the availability um, of um, informing and uh, notifying patients and families about the availability of the free language assistance services and also the right to receive their free language assistance services. Uh, it has to be an easy to read signage and it has to be in languages that are more commonly used in the service area that you are um, that you are serving. Um, of, of course, also the provision of auxiliary aids and services, uh, making sure part of them is to offer qualified American Sign Language interpreters, uh, have availability by auxiliary aids, meaning note takers, braille, transcription services as well. Non-compliance um, with the uh, the provision of language, uh, language assistance services could lead, and some potential uh, violation and penalties could lead into the loss of federal and state funding. Um, a legal action filed by the Department of Health and Human Services, and if um, a situation that needs with uh, medical malpractice, there might be some also medical malpractice charges as well. The Joint Commission. Um, also have published uh, a crosswalk of the national standards for culturally and linguistically appropriate services in health and healthcare with a joint commission requirement. Uh, we will not go more into the details of the report, but I highly recommend um, you get a copy of it because it does look into um, each of the standards and how and the crosswalk and how they align with the joint commission requirements. I totally highly recommend um, get a copy of that report. But in summary, the areas of compliance to highlight in regard to the standard uh, standards 5 to 8 from the class are to organizations to identify and address the communication needs to provide quality language services. And this is basically to look into the qualifications of the interpreters and the translators. Um, to collect the preferred language, race, and ethnicity data of the patient population that they are serving, allow patients access to support individuals, and ensure that the care is free from discrimination, and of course, provide a grievance process where um, patients or their family can uh, uh, give some feedback or uh, understand the complaint process, the grievance process in your organization. So you get to the point where you're saying, okay, great. Um, we really want to go and, and go ahead and start implementing these standards. The class implementation on the ground 
will actually vary from organization to organization. So there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Um, some critical elements you need to, to consider is the size of your organization, the resources, the structures, and what is your vision of what these services will look like in practice. This is something that um, each organization needs to look into it because what works for one organization may not work for the other. Um, so all of these needs to be taken into consideration. And but one thing that theme that's common with all is that leadership engagement and support is absolutely critical. Um, the resources we'll be talking fiscal or personnel to be able to go ahead and um, be able to implement these standards is very crucial. And also to have a team that is interdisciplinary, a cross-functional team that's coming from different areas, whether it's regulatory, social workers, uh, clinical providers, administrative, coming together um, for the implementation process because policies um, and plans and procedure would would not work if they're not really having any practicality on the ground, as we say. But whatever uh, approach you will take, the process is really need to be looked at as a developmental process, as a quality improvement process. So we really need to have these level of assessment, um, whether if you're looking at it from standard by standard, or if you're going to implement it theme by theme, or if you're going to implement the whole class standards all at once, you need to look into it and assess first um, and start develop um, what are the goals objectives that we need to do, how you want to implement it, how you're going to communicate it um, across the organization as well with the um, community, and also what are the evaluation measures, what are you trying to evaluate to make sure that your, your standards are effective, that you're really um, achieving your goals. A sample implementation sequence uh, that I've offered you could work as follows. You can do an assessment. Um, Develop policies, and then you implement the services, and then you communicate to the patients, your community, and you monitor with other ongoing assessments and community assessment and focus groups. And in this webinar, what we're going to do is really look into um, some key strategies per theme, per framework um, of the class standards. So some key strategies for the governance, leadership, and workforce would be to incorporate these standards, class standards, in the organization vision and strategic goals, and ensure to communicate this across the organization. It'd be an, an example to develop a strategic plan that outlines clear goals, some policies, and the management accountability and the oversight mechanism to providing these services. Um, Another key strategy would be to integrate cultural competency into policies and the structures and quality initiatives, for example, like medical history intake, HR policies, staff evaluations. Um, another strategy would be to collaborate with businesses or community organizations and other stakeholders to build you know, potential workforce capacity and recruit diverse staff um, through internships, mentoring programs, and recruitment pipelines. And it's very important to conduct data analytics on the hiring and retention data, the current workforce demographics, 
promotions and community demographics to ensure that you are um, you have a workforce that is representative of the community served, um, that you are building a diverse uh, workforce as well as promoting uh, um, culturally and linguistically appropriate services also for the community. And one uh, key area with these strategies, uh, a key strategy for uh, governance leadership is to provide an ongoing training for all staff on, the, on these services. Um, the training could be done as in services, brown back lunches, maybe through staff orientation, uh, leadership meetings. You can offer the trainings also, or the in services need to offer an overview why these are important. Um, a discussion about how to provide um, language and communication services, um, more specifically with the procedures, and also to have more of a panel of discussion and feedback. This is very crucial because you would hear back from these trainings of how the providers and your workforce is, you know, what are the barriers for them to provide these services or what are some opportunities and actually can learn some of the best practices and really apply that um, across the organization. Some key strategies regarding communication and language assistance. First, to identify um, an assessment piece onto this as a key strategy is absolutely critical because with data and data analytics of what are the most commonly used languages in your service area, um, what are the languages requested in your organization, uh, the frequency, um, it's, uh, they're absolutely critical. With what areas within the organization that you see more of these requests? is absolutely crucial to be able to implement really effective strategies and action plans that really work to improve efficiency and ensure the provision of these services in a timely manner. The use of qualified interpreters and translators is very critical to put a process in place and qualification um, standards for the interpreters and translators that you are working with, whether you are contracting with, if you have bilingual staff that have been used as uh, interpreters, you need to be able to assess the competency with, the, uh, with their language skills, um, ensure that you have really qualified and professional interpreters and translators um, on the ground um, who are really assisting your patients. This is really critical for effective communication and also by not using family members or using uh, staff, you really can ensure confidentiality and impartiality as well and adherence more to um, patients getting much more comfortable to be able to communicate and really understand and ensure that the understanding of the, the treatments that they are really going through. You need to provide communication resources. Another strategy is to provide the communication resources like auxiliary aids and video interpreting. So you look at modalities of interpretation and make sure that these resources are available for the patients um, upon request. Um, provide notification and signage. Uh, these are absolutely critical as well. This is part of the, um, um, one of the important standards is for patients to be aware that they have the right for uh, interpreter services at no cost, and it has to be in their own language. Um, 
And, it, and the signs have to be really in areas where um, at each patient contact and then like maybe, for example, reading areas, it could be uh, uh, patient intake. And that has to be um, really clear and visible for them as well to see. Especially the, uh, this, uh, another key strategy is to formalize the process and ensure the quality of the translation of the vital documents. This is absolutely crucial to ensure that your vital documents are translated in, a, in the language of your, um, your patients, their education materials, and also that these documents do follow the health literacy guidance, and not only just the language, but as well as the health literacy. The key strategies for engagement and continuous improvement and accountability really ask for to your organization to conduct an organizational assessment or a cultural audit. Um, this is absolutely important to kind of see where you're at, where you're heading. Are you really um, meeting your objectives? Um, and to also look at gaps and opportunities of where to really, um, um, you know, maybe focus your resources on instead of just make it more of a general. Um, you can integrate um, some classes into patient and staff surveys to kind of get some feedback. Um, this is very important, especially with engagement or patient satisfaction uh, surveys that are done in healthcare organizations. Um, can partner with the community groups, faith-based organizations, and engage feedback and support. This is also important because they will, the community is uh, through focus groups, probably maybe include them in the development of some of the services so that you can get some feedback. Um, and it's absolutely important to see what type of barriers to access or some of the services that your organization is lacking. Um, get some feedback from them. And also they become more your, um, as allies as well in, uh, in case of issues with um, understanding the cultural beliefs of the specific communities, you can reach out to, um, to the community for more um, uh, alliance and more programs to work together to be able to understand the communities you are serving. You need to put in place and develop a clear grievance process. This is very crucial as well because patients, especially with limited English proficient patients or patients with uh, communication needs, really are hesitant to come forward and for any grievance in many cases. Um, because of the language barriers. The grievance process needs, um, information needs to be also available to the patients in their own language, and it has to be clear and really open, and there has to be a follow-through um, on that process. Um, and finally, these uh, standards really push for um, monitoring, evaluating, and communicating your organization um, class measures. So once you implement standards, uh, if you uh, and you have some measures for and goals that you have in place, you really need to monitor, evaluate, are they working or not, and especially to communicate it across your organizations and also with your community. So in conclusion, we want to look into um, that implementing these standards uh, is a developmental process, as is of course, the culture competent, to become a culturally competent organization or a culturally competent individual is not an end state. It is a developmental process. We, uh, there's an increasing diversity, a changing demographics, um, 
um, that we are seeing um, now. And also with this healthcare system, all the changes that we do see as well. So it's not something that we, or we just, we are culturally competent and we stop there. It is a developmental process. And it is crucial that any implementation or any development of these standards really need to be in place with a leadership commitment and accountability. And there's no leadership engagement um, with these standards. It's very difficult for um, to be able to process these standards in the long term. Uh, the commitment talking about really as fiscal, uh, the resources, and as well as accountability that the organization put in place. And this is very important as far as when it comes to their, your vision, the mission, um, and the strategic goals that you really need to accomplish. Collaboration um, and partnership and engagement across the organization and community is also crucial. Uh, this is, you know, it, as I say, it takes a village to, um, to work together to really improve these services. It's not just a one program there, or it's not one organization. It's really all us coming together and uh, uh, working to ensure that these uh, that we are able to provide these services. Um, implement the implementation of these standards. Um, you need to look into the focus that they have to be practical. So your workforce on the ground be able to. Um, able to access them, to be able to understand them, uh, they're able to work effectively with them. Uh, they should not be hindering operation, actually. They should be supporting operations. They should be supporting um, your practices and your um, policies and not hinder them. They have to be efficient, of course, and measurable. As I say, nothing is, um, uh, if it's not measured, it cannot be fixed. So we really need to be able to um, put some measures into the standards to be able to monitor and evaluate. Thank you, and now I'm open for if you have any other questions. Okay, thank you so much, I appreciate it. So uh, we did have a few questions, uh, Nadia, that came in. Um, what happens okay. if, um, what happens if a patient refuses interpreter services? It seems like they, uh, this patient needs it, but they've refused um, interpreter services. Well, it is, you know, a right for a patient to uh, refuse interpreter services. The most important thing to keep in mind that um, as an organization, a provider, you still need to communicate to the patient in a language that they understand that their right for free and uh, free services, um, uh, their rights for the for the services, and and that there is at no cost for them. And if they still um, did not want an interpreter, then uh, it is recommended that you know if the patient declines, that um, the staff can complete uh, maybe an example as of a waiver of the language assistance if you have one in your organization and to document this in the patient records. But also it's kind of really uh, uh, an approach is all recommended that the provider needs to understand that if, uh, are they able to communicate to that patient and that patient is able to understand the communication and they have to, you know, if they, there is no way that the provider, provider can communicate that to the patient, then they can say that they have to have an interpreter present. But if the um, provider also felt that, uh, you know, the 
the patient can understand the communication uh, without an interpreter present, uh, then they can provide it, but it's still recommended for them to have a waiver um, and to record that in the document in the patient's record. Okay. All right. Yeah, probably the first thing was making sure that they understood that it, it was at no charge. So I'm glad you mentioned that. All right. Right. Um, okay. Here's another question. Uh, is there a national certification for interpreters and translators? Is there some kind of national standard or certification? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, for translators, actually, there is a certificate, a certification, a national certification that is widely um, recognized through the American Translation Agency, the ATA, and it's nationally recognized. However, for the interpretation, there are many agencies right now are looking for a, a national certification, but at this moment, there is no national certification. But as, as you know, the interpreter profession is really emerging and it's really growing, um, there's many organizations that are working on more of a national certification. At this point, um, to assess the competency of interpreters, and to make sure that the organization will have their own standards, and there are some national standards that are uh, adopted across the nation. For example, as far as um, um, the language proficiency assessments, um, that can be done with the source and the target language. Um, there are professional uh, certifications um, by accredited agencies that. The agency can, the organization can really look into it as well as looking at the experience of the interpreter. You know, it's recommended to have at least two years of experience and as well as passing a medical terminology uh, assessment. So there are some professional certificates out there for professional interpreters and they are by accredited agencies and it's up to the organization to really put the standards of, um, what type of a qualification they will accept when it comes to the qualifications of interpreters until there is another national certification that is recognized nationally. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. We had uh, one other question. Uh, does our organization have to provide all types of language assistant services? Well, as we mentioned in the beginning that, you know, using the four-factor analysis, um, provided by the Title VI is that depending on the size of your organization, um, the recommendation is to offer uh, meaningful access uh, and a reasonable step. So if you are, depending on the organization um, and uh, depending on the, the number of patients uh, requesting interpreter services, if you are offering, um, for example, a telephonic interpretation that might look into as a reasonable step, but if you have a really large healthcare um, uh, institution and you have thousands and thousands of limited English proficiency in different languages, um, it is absolutely important to really look into the need to have a face-to-face -face or video interpreting. It is actually, it is recommended though, even if you are a small organization or a large organization, is to have all the modalities um, available um, because it's very important to offer that service for the patient who need it and be able to communicate. So if you have, for example, a, um, 
deaf or hard of hearing patients, you know, it's very important, like maybe, you know, of course, a cell phone might not be feasible, or maybe if they're going for some intake that they need somebody to have face to face and an interpreter is not going to work. And maybe, maybe a video interpreting service would be great, um, much more feasible, or maybe a face to face is more appropriate. So, we do recommend for the organizations to have all the options, and many of the contracted agencies offer all these options, telephonic, face-to-face, and as well as video uh, interpreting, and it's very important to have it, just in case. We said it's more important to have it than to need it. Okay. So. Great. Okay. Uh, did you have any other um, any other final words of advice or, or um, thoughts for us? No, I just want to, you know, say that, um, you know, as I mentioned in the conclusion, that it is, um, it, it might sound daunting when you want to implement these class standards, but there's a lot of um, resources out there, uh, especially with the Office of Minority Health um, side that, um, that the participants can really reach out to. I will also reach out to um, my contact information is here on the slide as well. They can reach out with any questions, anything we can certainly help them, uh, whether in assessment or developing or implementing any of these standards or any questions or concerns they may have. I'd be more than happy to um, help out if there's any additional questions or, or issues to address. Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and being a webinar presenter here. Thank you so much. It's really great information. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you very much, Catherine, and thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So um, attendees, please use the contact information for Nadia there. Um, you can also use uh, the uh, contact information uh, for us if you um, if you need you need that, um, you'll get our contact information. Um, you can send us questions, we'll forward them on. Um, please remember your PACOM CEU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM within two days following the broadcast. Um, there's no need to request it. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you so much for joining us.